What the hell? Everyone rolled up a bard? Let me get this straight. You're calling your adventure group The Whom because proper English and your characters are Pieter Townrender, Roger De La Tree, John Antwistler, and Keith the Moon Druid. <laughs> he multiclassed. <sighs> this is going to be a long campaign. Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Grognards. I'm Dean Geiken. I'm Eric Holly. And I'm Greg Ziegler. And today we're going to start off on kind of a new series of sorts. We are taking different classes and giving them a little bit of a quick look, not a quick look, more of an in-depth look of the different classes that you can play in Dungeons & Dragons. And today we are picking, I would have to say, my second least favorite class. Really? Yes. Second least? Second least. My wow. first least is the monk. Well, I'm not a I'm not a fan of the warlock or the sorcerer really. Yeah. Well, anyway, yeah. what is that class that we're going to do? The bard. We are going to be a class act today, so you guys got to brush up a little bit and yeah. And uh, we're going to do this for each class. We're going to go through about every other podcast and we're going to focus on a different class. That's right. Until we cover them all. And that's going to take up a lot of uh, out of, a lot of our time and a lot of airspace on the podcast. So, how many do we have lined up? We've got what? I think there's 13 classes in fifth, 12 or 13 classes in fifth edition. But then there's classes that used to be classes, like right. assassin. Mm-hmm. Um, so we probably want to talk about those too, because we are grognards after all. So, and to give you an idea of our outline, we're going to talk about the history of each class, and then. Talk about how it relates, uh, how it developed, and then we're going to finally settle on actually trying to come up with some concepts through the fifth edition version. Yeah, of and that's that class. a surprise I talked about. In, uh, instead of doing DM's Guild every week, because we don't use as much DM's Guild as you know, we want to be able to talk about stuff we've used. Right. So this is going to spread it out a little bit, and we're going to do this class concept. Um, we got some feedback that some of our listeners really enjoyed that when we. And if you hear some scribbling in the background, that's uh, Greg feverishly trying <laughs> to develop his character because he's actually going to create a yeah. bard yeah, that like he's going to use in his campaign. Fifty pages, right, Greg? At least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, there, and he's got one of the uh, infamous "Let's fall apart within three months of buying the player's handbook." Hey, I've been using this bad boy for four yeah, years. Yeah, uh, uh, just it's, so it's, people, it's worn well people know um wizards of the coast will actually replace those players handbooks you can there's a we'll post a link on our on our website but uh our facebook page but if you send a picture of your pieces uh, the the (laughs) pc code or whatever they tell you what to take a picture of you don't have to return it and uh i did that got a brand new one and i took my old one down to a copy shop and got it bound in those plastic binders Mm mm-hmm um, without the covers, and I bring that one to the game store so when new players show up and they don't have a player's handbook, they can just borrow that one. That's a great idea, good yeah, way yeah. of sharing. What I think it's is, easy to use too with yeah. the with the binding like that. Yeah, it lays open really flat. Well. Yeah, and you what, can fold it over on itself. What I think is really great, and I'm going to give our listening audience a little bit of a background on Greg here. He's kind of one of those guys that you know everything's got to be in order. It needs to be you know well cared for, pristine, and whatnot. He's actually got a cover. On his hardback edition here, you know, it, to keep it looking nice. 
It's silicone. Yeah. <laughs> but the rest of it is a piece of crap. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it doesn't so, help that I stick paper in it, too. And I think that maybe contributed to it falling apart. Is yeah. I, keep, I used to keep all my character info and, and extra charts and stuff in there. And it really just abused the crap out of it. Yeah. And uh, I got post-it tabs. and. Yeah. So he's one of these guys that every card that he might have is probably sleeved. Individually sleeved and hermetically yeah. sealed. If I can. Yeah. In his comic books. <laughs> that, that's, that's where all that started was the comic yeah. book collecting. Yeah. You start bagging and boarding things. And then that just spreads out into magazines and books and cards. (laughs) All right. Well, um, I think the DM for this session, since it was your idea, Eric, should be you. Thanks. And uh, we'll we'll spread these out as we go because I think uh, each of us have different favorites. Uh, Bard, I don't know if it's necessarily my favorite. And I was surprised that Dean said it wasn't his because when first edition, when fifth edition first came out, it was considered one of the better classes. Okay, let me give a little bit of background on that. I don't dislike it so much now. I did dislike it quite a bit when it first came out in first edition, um, primarily because. Uh, I just thought it, it kind of broke the game for yeah. me. I didn't know how to handle it. Well, let's talk about that. I mean, uh, the original Bard was not in the uh, 1974 box set. You know, not the small at all. box. Uh, well, I forget what they call it, the brown box or something. But I mean, yeah. it came out in Strategic Review, Volume 2, Number 1. Um, and that was the precursor to Dragon Magazine. What year would that been? That was... Uh, that, oh, God. 70... I, it would have been like... After 74, but... Okay, be- so in, between, in the latter half of the 70s. Sometime. Yeah, well, probably right mid-70s. Yeah. Uh, we could always look it up. But um, Strategic Review stuck around a little bit, but it was infrequent. And then they got uh, Dragon going. And actually, if anybody goes to EN World, there's a series going on right now by M.T. Black. Yeah. Where he's covering each Dragon magazine, a short sort of review or description. Um and it's really interesting to read because I didn't start reading Dragon Magazine until number 50, 49-ish. Got back issues to 45. So all those really early magazines, he was up to number six last I knew. Um, makes for an interesting read if anybody has a chance. And M.T. Black also puts uh, Adventures up on DM's Guild. And he's actually one of the uh, sort of gems they discovered through DM's Guild. It was not a professional adventure designer as far as I know. And his stuff is wildly popular. So yeah. uh, It was Strategic Review number 201, February of 1976. 76, okay. Wow. So, um, um, we know how Dean is near the bottom of his list. Where is it at uh, for you, Eric, there? Um, well, we'll probably if, talk if about you that are going in, to fifth, rate them. in fifth edition. I have mixed feelings. I pl- I do have a bard, um, but it's really a support class, and you have to like playing support classes. Yeah. yeah. When I first got the book and was looking through it, uh, bards, I was like, that seems kind of dorky. Why would I want to play that? And uh, as I've been playing, I've actually come to find out that I'm unhappy if we don't have a bard in the group. Yeah. I may not necessarily have wanted to be the bard before, but uh, you know, in the couple of games we've had and some other games I've played in, there's been a bard and the bard is so versatile and so useful that I'm like, you know, oh, if you don't, you know, who's going to heal us? Where's the yeah. bard at? Where's the bard at? And he can stab that thing while he's doing it. That's yeah. And that segues perfectly I, yeah. into the first edition bard because mm-hmm. if listeners aren't familiar with first edition, the bard was not even a regular class in the player's handbook. It was listed in the appendix. Okay, so right away it should send up a little flag going, wait a minute, how do they list a character class in the appendix? Um, and, you know, it has a history. The the Nordic uh, scalds, you know, that would mm-hmm. fight and, and sing and or the uh, uh, Celtic feely, um, you know, 
sort of singing warriors of sorts. That's where they, they drew the inspiration from. And you, in first edition, you couldn't start as a bard. You had to start as something else, and it had these insane requirements. Um, first, you had to be human or half-elf. No other right. races could be bards. Correct. You had to have a 15 strength, wisdom, dex, and charisma, a 12 intelligence, and a 10 con. So I don't know how you guys roll scores, but if you're rolling 46, drop the lowest, which is probably the most lenient roll, mm-hmm. those are near impossible scores to get. There oh, was, yes. You've got to be very, very lucky or cheating. No ability <laughs> score increases. I mean, there were no some magic that. items that would, would increase stats. Um, so, so right away, human half-elf have to have these godly ability scores. Then you need to level as a fighter between five and seven levels. Then you need to switch to a thief between five and nine levels. So you've already minimum leveled 10 levels if you went five fighter, five thief. And then they would let you switch to bard and start all over again as a bard. <laughs> yeah, it was nice. a, a, a very unusual class, very unusual. And um, it didn't work well for my players back in the day when I was doing first edition. And it didn't work for me because when we did have our first bard, our understanding of a bard was some dude running around with a mandolin you know, and, and singing and trying to, you know, beef us up. And, yeah. and you're playing D&D and you want to either yeah. whack something with a sword or chuck a fireball. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I didn't know it later. I didn't really know how to handle it at that point. So it wasn't really something that we had a lot of uh, yeah. experience with. And the other thing is, you know, the, um, the advancement in first edition was really slow. I think the highest we got playing all through high school was maybe... 10th or 11th level. Yeah, I played right. a lot, and it did take a long time for my care. I think my magic user, as I said, was, ended up a 15th at the end before I retired him, I guess. And it took a long time to get there. Now, there were some times where the DM was a little on the generous side, but... Uh, and that but, was back, too, when you, we were all playing games way more often than we do now. Oh, yes. We had not yet become adults with all the responsibilities there. But... Yeah. There's also quirkiness with the experience advancement. In, in early editions of D&D, everybody had their own advancement table. Rogues advanced the right. quickest. Yes. Um, and actually, I've just look, I have my first edition player's handbook. I've started to bring these resources with me. Um, you need 10,000 experience to get to fifth level thief. You need 18,000 experience to get to fifth level fighter. If you have 28,000 ex- experience as a fighter, that makes you sixth level. You, not even. You need 35. You're still fifth level. Jeez. So, <laughs> oh, so you need 35. 28,000 does get you to sixth level cleric. Wizards, I seem to recall, had, or magic users had an awful experience. 28,000 is still fourth level. Mm-hmm. Wow. So <laughs> The internet would not stand for that now. Because of the, the way they skewed the tables where it took way more as you got higher up, um, you weren't really losing that much. Um, but there's some quirkiness with switching classes in early D&D as well, which we're not going to talk about here, but um, if memory serves me correctly, you couldn't actually use your prior abilities until you hit the level um, that you had attained in your last class. There's some weirdness. Right, yeah. And then at first level, which I always thought was fun, and we're going to talk about this at some point when we talk about the history of first edition, uh, or first edition in depth, I love the names that they gave the levels. Oh, yeah, the, the level names. All the classes. And the classes of first-level bard, or I should say the names of the first-level bard, is Rhymer, and then yeah. he was a lyrist, and then a sonneteer. And I think this is why it didn't click with my group, is because yeah. 
who wants to be our lyrist yeah. or a sonneteer? You it's a know? little too French for me. And exactly. And then when you know you, you looked at things like Troubadour and Minstrel and Muse, they're like, that guy is some type of wackadoodle. And yeah. you know, he didn't fit into our group. But you know, I still use those titles. I will look them up because if I, even in a current fifth edition game, if I want an NPC to have like a, a strange title, like the rogue one is the foot pad. Yes. You know? Not a bad yeah. idea. They had some great stuff. Yeah, they did. They put yeah. time. I mean, these guys were hardcore. They they put a lot of time into that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there's even some resources online. People have expend, expanded those to higher levels for current editions. Um, yeah. What I have also fa- uh, found interesting is they could only be neutral alignment. They had to be neutral on one axis. Really? Yeah, so they could okay. be neutral good, neutral evil, lawful neutral, chaotic neutral, or pure neutral. All right, that's that's correct. But yes. I think they came from, you know, in especially in uh, Viking culture, uh, these the bards were sort of highly valued and essentially untouchable, as far as I know. They would travel from place to place and... Uh, they were sort of like the the man on the spot reporter of the time. So you wanted the bard to be there to record your great exploits, and this bard might have just been recording your enemy's great exploits. But you that didn't affect you. He he was sort of like he made the song, he sang about it. He didn't care how it turned out. He just wanted the good story. So I think that's where that came from. If I'm if I would guess, hmm. Uh, hmm. You know, they also got spells. But right. they were a divine caster, which actually leads to some quirkiness later on in third edition. Um, but that was sort of an interesting choice because uh, current bards are arcane casters. Um, now, interest, uh, I'm a little confused on something. So you start off as a, pl- uh, a fighter. Yeah. So or rogue. Or rogue. So you're getting your hit die through your fighter and or rogue. Yeah. But then once you become a bard, you lose those hit die and you start doing the d6 is that no am i remembering keep, that correctly you keep the hit by we're gonna have to cover character with two classes <laughs> versus multi-class in another one but there yeah. were some crazy rules as far as i remember and this has been 30 years people um i think you kept your hit points but your abilities you basically lost and uh, i would have to look up to make sure but then when you caught up you got all those abilities back yeah some people um in discussing this on on uh, different forums and say uh they say it's the original prestige class, maybe. It sort of was, yeah. I mean, we don't have prestige in 5th edition, but earlier editions did where you had the prerequisites to get into mm-hmm. it, and then you started as a brand new class. That's essentially what Bard is, you know? And hmm. and it's not too too bad. It's sort of fun. Um, you know, they did get that D6 hit dice, just like uh, Rogues, you know, mm-hmm. in 1st edition. They got access to Druid spells. Again, I think they were drawing on those... Uh, you know, the Viking or the Celtic um, backgrounds where they were sort of more in tune with nature. Uh, they got some bonus languages, which is, uh, you know, because they were travelers, they met many cultures. Storytellers. Yeah. Um, they got some druid powers along with the spells. They could charm with their music, which, again, has persisted. I mean, the bards are always... Uh, big about charming, lulling people, you know, and that's the stories you hear if you read those old stories. And the other ability they had, which I had forgotten about until they did this, was legend lore. Um, there's a long history of how do you identify something you find in D&D, right? If it's a magic item, it's gone through various uh, incarnations of cast a spell, try to attune to it. Bards had this ability they could pick up an item and tell about it. 
Um, oh, and that included, that's so right. they were great at identifying magic items as well as non magic items, if I recall correctly. Like if there was some object, they could try to legend lore the object. And uh, that would be super handy. Give sort of a background. And, and it was. It was a little game-breaking at times because you'd wonder how they would know about it. But the idea was that they had traveled around. They had heard all these stories. So if you know, it was a, you know, the doorknob of Divers, they would recognize it <laughs> as that artifact. You know, like it was just it was fun. The doorknob of Divers. You stick it on any door and you can open it. That's a great That's magic a, item, actually. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna write yeah. that one down. <laughs> doorknob of Divers. <laughs> Oh, uh, my gosh. Yeah. All right. So um, the bard then... Got that one down. Yeah. It, the bard <laughs> then... Well, Dungeons & Dragons changes. It becomes yeah. second edition. Second edition. Which, again, was the one that almost killed me for playing D&D because I was so ensconced in the first edition. And when second edition came out, I'm not somebody who likes a lot of change. And you're throwing Thacko at me and this, that, and the other thing. But all the... Uh, all the classes change again, and so yeah. did the bard. And it didn't affect me that much because and I just actually read a really good thread online about this, about what things had you screwed up when you first started playing D&D. You know, oh, when D&D wow. first came out, no game like it. And um, one of the things that we screwed up, we were in grade school, was um, we just let wizards cast if you're first level, you cast all your first level spells. <laughs> if you're ninth level, you had every spell in the book as many times as you wanted. That didn't last long because we eventually got the books, but we were sort of playing, as I mentioned before, my DM had gone to summer camp and learned how to play and right. came back. So he was just so doing it from memory. Play from memory method. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> wow. And there was no internet to look stuff up. You know, that, that makes a big difference. So second edition rolls around. And they finally make Bard a real class. It goes under Rogue, and, and my memories are those character sheets. You know, Fighter, Ranger, Paladin, uh, mm -hmm. Cleric, Druid, uh, Thief, Assassin, Bard. Bard. You're right. You know? In that uh, goldenrod, that beautiful fluorescent yes. yellow goldenrod <laughs> color. We yeah. like that color. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Um, and then they sort of broaden the concept of Bard to include more storytellers or poets. They got away from this combat guy that like loved to fight but also sang combat guitarist you know so they they included stuff like alan adale and will scarlet from the robin hood stories uh um Amergen, um which i don't recognize he, he was uh he was in some old uh folklore but and homer of all people you know i don't see homer swinging a two-handed sword but hey um but they want to include like you know they they mentioned those inspirations for Imogen is a uh, Irish bard. Irish, okay, yeah. Um, still limited human and half elf. Uh, still had some pretty tough ability scores, but not awful. They were twelve dex, thirteen intelligence, and fifteen charisma. Um, charisma was sort of a dump stat in first and second edition. Yeah, it was. So unless you ran in a game where you had a lot of followers and henchmen. It wasn't all that useful. No. Um, so having to put a 15 in charisma, I mean, you pretty much had to know, I really want to be a bard. Right. Well, unless you were rolling up, you know, like doing like a fixed roll where you, you know, rolled up a group of stats and then rolled up a group of stats and then had to pick and you got stuck with that. Which when, when we first started doing role playing, that's what you did is the, my game master, that's how he interpreted the rules of the game we were playing, which was similar to D&D. And that, yeah, you rolled up all of those stats in a row and then you rolled up like he gave you like three or five, and you had to pick one. <laughs> and, and sometimes you got some weird characters doing that. We actually played where you could roll as many times as oh, you wanted. Jesus. <laughs> 
Wow. So we would sit and that roll for really hours, generous. sets of six stats. Oh, my God. To get the ones we wanted. Yeah. Uh, we, no, we were very harsh. You just you rolled that group, that group of linear stats in that order, and that's what you had, which is how you ended up with characters with, you know, wacky high charismas and, like, no strength or something like that. And then you had to just You know what, you though? I think Point it's sometimes so fun playing characters that have a low stat. I think... Yes, it is. And a lot of the times, the characters or the players that had those characters, they always tended to throw them into wisdom or intelligence to kind of explain why they did something stupid. Yeah, well, the classic is the big dumb fighter. Yeah. You know, that's Which is right. kind of fun, you know. It, it is. It kind of takes the responsibility out of you doing something dumb when you do it dumb, honestly. <laughs> it can be hard to roll <laughs> oh, my play character. a he dumb just, he just character. You know, I mean, because as a dumb character, you have to do dumb things. And D&D players are generally adverse to doing dumb things. So unless you have a smart character that's holding you back, going, no, 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 don't do that. Right. Um, you might not live long. But, yeah. it, but it can be, you know, a low charisma character can be fun. One of my pet peeves in 5th edition is intimidation is tied to charisma. Charisma is a big dump stat in 5th edition. Um, but you have these big, brawny, half-orc barbarians that threaten somebody with a war axe. They have an 8 charisma. Well... What, you're not going to take their threat seriously. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because they have a minus. <laughs> yeah, which is kind of silly. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, as a home rule, I think uh, intimidation should be based on strength. That would be good. That does make sense, yes. It does. But, um, so, again, this sort of gets into a lot of the intricacies as early um, D&D, but Bard, also in second edition, was the only class besides Thief that non-humans had unlimited level advancement. Um, early D&D limited non-humans in what level they could attain in each class. And the only one that was universal was rogue. Everybody could be a rogue at any level. Right. And I know that we're going to talk sometime in a future podcast about the quirkiness of first edition and, and even yeah, second edition. Yeah, that's actually edition. coming up in two podcasts, if everything, if our schedule holds. But I kind of like the idea of certain races in the D&D sense having limitations. I do as well. I think we've gone too far into everybody can do everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's just how our society kind of works now. But sometimes it's just racially practical. You know, halflings, they're, they're small. Yeah. You, they are you, tiny. You can't how, be, you know. Yeah. How can you have an 18 strength halfling? It's just crazy. Yeah. And we'll <laughs> and talk about his that. His biceps are bigger than his head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I don't he keeps so falling much over. He's top Mind that, but. As a quick aside, I started playing a Pathfinder campaign, and of all things, it's <gasps> online with some college uh, friends. Do we need to shut him down? I know. Uh, or have an, have an intervention? I, yeah. I, yeah, you got, you got the dice uh, affliction, maybe. Wait, 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 He's it getting gets better. It gets better. It's Pathfinder, which I haven't played. I've dabbled in it, but I've never really played seriously. I did play some third editions. Our apologies to our Pathfinder yeah. friends. We still love you, but we don't yeah. understand Eric was, you. Eric was cheating yeah. on us. Okay. <laughs> it's online, so we, we're playing online, which also is a little quirky. But then it's also a Spelljammer campaign. <laughs> what? So it's a second edition Spelljammer campaign Campaign played as Pathfinder. That's um, kind of weird. Yeah. Eric, it, you have way too much time on your hands. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. We I'm, played last night. It was, it I'm, was, I'm going to con- adopt yeah. a small child so that you have less time. <laughs> oh, no. We're, there's two that are it's, on their way to college. To. I'm happy with that. Yeah. yeah um, I, I'm actually guilty. I, I have played Pathfinder once. But I showed up to play D&D. They weren't playing. And they said, join our Pathfinder game. And to be honest, in fifth, it's, it's incredibly similar. Well, <laughs> it's... The thing I had forgotten is that there's always the exception to every rule. 
So, you know, we, we went from first to second level. Well, how many skill points do I get? Well, you got to look that up. It's based on your class. Okay, I can do it. All right, well, how much? I'm going to buy this weapon. Well, what size is your character? Because the damage varies based on what size, yeah. if you're small versus medium. All right. Yeah. Now, you know, what yeah. weapons can I use? Well, you're, I, I play a gnome. Well, you can use any of the simple weapons, but then you can also use any weapon with gnome in its name yeah. or gnomish. You <laughs> mentioned that uh, the damage for size, depending. Yeah. Uh, do you recall back in first edition that? Weapons had different damage depending on what size you, your target. The was. target was yeah. yes, exactly. Really? Like if you're hitting a dragon as opposed to a an orc, you do more damage with your weapon to the dragon. Yeah, we'll talk about that as well. Yeah, it's a little weird. weird. So, too. so it's fun, but um, but uh, getting back to bards, I yeah, guess I don't even know how we got <laughs> off that that tangent. Um, Tangents are fun. So uh, bards, a jack of all trades. Jack, they could do everything, and that's continued in the fifth edition. So um, also super handy. Yeah, they could pick pockets, detect noise, climb walls, read languages. They got those ro- thief abilities. They didn't get um, open locks and remove traps though. But in early D anD D, like if you had detect noise, you could detect noise. If you didn't have it, you couldn't do it. Like or you had some really low chance. Um, so it really led to some specialization. Same with read languages. You know, if you had that ability, you could try to read any language. If you didn't have it, you didn't read anything. Yes, and certain classes, or I should say certain races, uh, uh, excelled in those types of yeah. things, like the elves and such. And I think that back then you had a wider range of races in your parties. There was always, you know. Well, you the, needed an elf to find those stupid secret doors. Right, <laughs> yes, yeah. And you had to have a dwarf to be able to tell you if you were going up or down in a dungeon or something to that effect. Yeah. yeah. Encouraging and that's, diversity. Again, that's, yep. That specialization was sort of nice. Like, I find the secret doors because I'm an elf. You're a human. You walk right by these doors. Yes. Very Tolkien-ish. Yes, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, bards in second edition became arcane casters. No longer divine. They got wizard spells instead of druid spells. And they could use uh, any weapon, which sort of goes along with the whole concept uh, of the historical bards. And they got some bardic abilities and some music, just like they had before. Here's the kicker in second edition. They used the thief advancement table for experience points. I hadn't earned their own yet. Well, here's the thing, <laughs> the quirk with that. The thief advancement's the fastest in the game. They leveled faster than everybody else, and it was substantially compared to some classes. Um, and because they were an arcane caster, they would frequently be able to cast arcane spells at higher level than the party wizard, because wizards had a slow advancement table. It's a little embarrassing for the wizard. It was. It was incredibly embarrassing. Um, so that led to some interesting dynamics where you know you had this bard that was your primary arcane caster because they had out-leveled their wizard counterpart. Wizards had other things they could do, but we'll talk about that in the wizard podcast. Um, they still had to be neutral on one axis, which is sort of a quirky rule, you know. It, I'm not quite sure why they wanted it to be neutral on one axis. Yeah. I, because it, they were kind of a jack-of-all-trades, they kind of encompassed at least a little bit of all of the alignments? I think, I think like I said earlier, it had to do with the historical bards being able to travel freely among all different groups. Everybody yeah. welcomed them. So that implied they were neutral to some extent among, con- they sort of remained above all that. Just like a news reporter, you know, that'll mm-hmm. go to some war zone and hopefully won't be shot. Uh, most of the time, both sides want to talk to the reporter because they want to get their story out. Yeah. Uh-huh. So third edition hits, right? 
massive rewrite of the D&D rules. Exactly. Um, A very good rewrite, I think. Um, From my perspective, trying to continue to play the game in second edition, when third edition came out, I I was a lot more open to it. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's been my observation is there seems to be more people who love three than any other 3E version. 3E rekindled my fire for the game. Yeah, I played 3E. I, I think it wasn't so much that... Uh, how do I phrase this? Second edition had become incredibly cumbersome. At that point, TSR was looking mm-hmm. to make as much money as they could, and they published tons of stuff for second edition. Um, all the, the handbooks for the classes, which I didn't even look at the Bard handbook. We didn't want to get that detailed into it. <laughs> but they opened up all those, you know, extra extra abilities and prestige classes and all that stuff. And second edition just sort of toppled under its own weight. There were so many options and so many rules, nobody could keep track of it. And and I think that's why they were like, okay. And, you know, they, they milked that cow dry. People were, you know, okay, we got everything we need, we're done. So it was probably time for a, a rewrite. Um, they got rid of the, um, and he had to be neutral, and now it turned into any non-lawful alignment. Oh, so essentially <laughs> they lost lawful neutral, but they gained chaotic good and chaotic evil. Yeah, lots of chaotic evil bards running around. That's a good thing. Yeah. Um, and... Again, alignment. We're probably going to spend a whole podcast at some point in the future talking about alignment because it's a it's a concept a lot of newer players struggle with. Like, what does it mean? And even some older players struggle with it. Truthfully, well, it's hard to keep that in mind while you're doing something because your desire to do what you want to do can be trumped by that. Sometimes, yeah, it sort so of walks tricky. all over player agency. Yeah. yeah, and also one of the things that uh, was. Interesting, you've got it pointed out here in the uh, outline, is that they are now able to start casting Cure Light Wounds. Yes. I mean, they truly were becoming the everything-to-everybody class. And here's the problem yeah, in 3rd edition. That's the most important thing there. Was magic items were plentiful. Characters could purchase and or make magic items. Yes. Cure Light Wounds is a divine spell. Bards have it on their spell list, and they're arcane casters. So guess what? They can make a Cure Light Wounds wand that magic or wizards can now use and cast Cure Light Wounds off of because it's an arcane wand, and any arcane user can use an arcane wand in third edition, Hmm. which was this weird little loophole in the rules, which led to sort of wand spam. Like, why why use Cure (laughs) Light Wounds when we can just have a wand? And and they were cheap. Yeah, exactly. I don't know how many times in third edition, you know, before the adventure started, let's go to the local wand shop and buy the Wand of Magic Missiles and Cure Light Wounds. Yeah. I mean, pass them out to the group. Exactly. Just whack them with a stick and they're good to go. Uh, They did get pretty expensive for higher level spells, but those first level spells, I think they were like 50 gold pieces or something. It Mm -hmm. was super cheap and it was basically downtime healing. So... After a fight, yep. everybody pulls out their wands of curly wounds and tops <laughs> off, and you know you're ready for the next like one. A bunch of Harry Potter wizards. <laughs> um, now with 3.5, uh, they let them cast in light armor. So the only arcane caster that could cast in armor was Bard, but it had to be light. And uh, Gnome became the favored race for parts. Before we go to Gnome, and I yeah. want to ask about this. That's another thing about first edition that I thought was kind of neat. Certain classes 
couldn't wear armor. Yeah, if you're a wizard, you could not cast an armor. And I thought that was kind of cool. It really made your wizard, I mean... He was squishy. A, squishy. That's a very good, <laughs> very good description. Um, I just like those limitations that it gave to different classes and different races. And we, again, will talk about that in an upcoming podcast. But it's just something that you want to kind of think about. You're playing fifth edition now. Would you pick the class that you have if you couldn't wear certain types of armor? I mean, it's a different type of mentality to, to your game. Yeah. I, again, we get that gets into that specialized roles, mm-hmm. right? So in early D and D, fighters had to protect wizards because if a monster got in a wizard's face, that wizard was toast. Yes. Yeah. You know, and that forces you to work together. Where in current, I mean, I play a wizard. Well, I'm multi-classed. I have a no. I have a. I know. I love multi-class. <laughs> we'll talk. We'll have a whole podcast on multi-classing too. Um, so I started as a cleric, got a couple levels. Became Tempest Cleric. Now I can wear plate mail. Now I jump to wizard. <laughs> so I have this guy. He's wears plate mail. That gives me an 18, right? If I put a shield on, right, gives me a 20. But I have shield spell, which can bump it up to 25. Oh, I can also cast shield of faith, which jumps it up to 27. So by third level, assuming I have plate and shield, I can have a 27 armor class. Jesus Christ. And I'm primarily wow. a wizard. And this was in uh, which? That's which, fifth edition. That's fifth, an Adventures League yeah, character. Yeah. Now, the 27 is temporary, you know, but it's still not shabby, you know. And that, Welcome to Gaming with Eric. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's my Ben Max streak coming out. And I, but I, in all fairness, I play him like a fighter. I don't play him like yeah, a wizard. Right. You know, he's he, he wades into battle and he casts spells when he has to. And he's, his name is Grim and he gets grumpy when he has to cast spells. When he has to heal somebody, he swears at him. <laughs> but know. he'll still do it. Uh, my favorite thing to do is counter spell, though, because um, that's a reaction. I'm standing in the front. Some wizard wants to do some bad stuff to us. Counter spell. Use my highest level spell slot because I'm not going to use it for anything else. Yeah. You know. All right. So back from the tangent, you yes. uh, said uh, the favored class for it's the bard gnome. became the gnome. Why do you think that is? In early first and second edition, gnome's favorite class. Anybody guess? Anybody know? Wasn't it illusionist? Illusionist. Yeah. Right? So you had magic user illusionist. They had a whole other class uh, called it More weird. I know. Greg has <laughs> got this look on his face yeah, like, what? what? And Sometimes I, I wonder, you know, what did Greg do when he was a kid? He played those other games. Yeah. And collected comic books. Well, I played other games, He spent most of his time too, bagging yeah. comic books. Uh, Starfleet <laughs> Battles. I, I didn't do the, I didn't oh, start the comic a, book thing until college. We should uh, get a game of Starfleet Battles. I play some board games. Uh, we don't think we have that kind of time. <laughs> no, probably not. Or that kind of space if we want to yeah. do something serious. <laughs> so, so gnomes were illusionists. Well, they got rid of illusionists. And to this day, gnomes really have no place in my mind. It's sort of like the bastard race of D&D. Yeah, I'm not a, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm not a fan of the gnomes. I know plenty players who love the gnome We race. used to make fun of them because the original artwork, they had like huge noses. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. So we, it would be a constant butt of nose jokes. Yeah, it seems to me they show up as NPCs more often than PCs. Yeah. Um, and actually, For that very in, reason, in my, easy to in my um, Pathfinder campaign, I'm playing a gnome. Um, <laughs> you know, because the current incarnation of gnomes, they're tinkerers. So it's a gnomish engineer, mm-hmm. you know, um, which I don't know where that came from either, because I don't view gnomes as mechanically inclined. I I, I think that sort of... Maybe they just needed to give them a purpose. And yeah, that um, could be, you know. I, somebody's got to I be think that's what it is. They were like, we need to fit these in somewhere. If any, I, I'm not aware of any historicals tie-in to gnomes 
being, being mechanically inclined. No. I, I mean, mean other than the little yard gnomes that you see that might have like a wheelbarrow or a hammer and a, a rake or something. They like. seem very skilled at traveling now, though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe they should be rangers. Uh, yeah. Got the roaming gnome ranger. Actually, in my current campaign, um, one of my players is a gnome ranger. Really? Yeah. Cute. Well, the, in the current version, they, um, well, even in, in third edition, they had speak with animals, like they were sort of woodland creatures, but then they got this technological bent. I don't. I don't know where gnomes. But I think they felt bad for gnomes, which you really should, because gnomes yeah. are pretty pitiful overall. Pity, pity the gnome, make him useful. That's right. So they're like, oh, we're gonna make all bards should be gnomes, which makes no sense. But they did it. So yep. that was sort of the preferred class. So now we move to what fourth edition, and I have to say here, you know, we're looking at our outline here. And first edition's got a lot of stuff. Second edition has not quite as much, but still a lot of stuff. And then third edition, not quite as much. And fourth edition, that's we, one line. One line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We should stop calling it fourth edition and call it like the edition that shall not be named. Yeah, I, I'm, I, that's what I hear. Yeah. That's... You know, I, I hate to be negative on any aspect of D&D because I know we all love it. Yes. Our listeners love it. I just, I couldn't get into fourth edition. I nope. just, it was too much of a left turn for me. Yeah. And, and even as somebody like myself who I was not playing D&D, I knew everybody hated 4th edition who, you know, had been gaming for a while, which is all the people I know are, you know, mm-hmm. old school gamers. Mm-hmm. Every one of them like, oh, God, that 4th edition. Yeah, no, I'm not touching that. No, no. Uh, many people who tried 4th edition immediately went back to 3.5. Yeah. Or Pathfinder. Yes. I mean, or fourth, Pathfinder. I think 4th I think edition was the number one reason why Pathfinder became as popular as it did. That. It's well, Pathfinder predated 4th edition. Pathfinder was pretty quick. And that's a whole other podcast as well. That yeah. open source game license. Was that a mistake? Was that a good mm, idea? You're right. I wow, we're just we're having our, our brainstorming session right here on the air. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think we had that one down already. Yeah. It, it'd be an interesting discussion to have. We're not going to do it today. No. Nope. So uh, what in 4th edition, it, it they could do what? Take they, the multi-class they could take feats? multi-class feats, which were, they were limited in 4th edition. Normally only one class could take a specific for that class. Bards, again, in that jack-of-all-trades philosophy, could just steal from everybody. Um, and we see that continue in the fifth edition mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, so uh, that's all we have to say about fourth edition. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So now a fifth edition, our current edition. Right. Yay. Okay. So it took us almost 40 minutes to get to the meat that's right. of the subject, but we're here now. We're here. And most of our listeners are like, I don't care about first and second edition. What, what's, what are you going to tell me about the current version of the game? All right. So just a quick recap for those who have not played Bards like Dean, right? Hadn't, hadn't I have not mentioned. played one, although with the preparation for this, I may be creating one. Yeah. And I just did. And, and, but Greg <laughs> hasn't played one either, right? No, I have not played one. Okay, so I do have a Bard. Uh, uh, which we'll talk about in a little bit. So I have played one school of bard, because that's one of the things with 5th edition. They have schools, which are sort of like specializations for their for each class. Um, so before we talk about that, so they finally get their own spell list. They're not stealing from another class's spell list, which is sort of nice, because it caused problems in the past. Right? I mean, that whole yeah. Cure Light Wound thing. Well, I don't see any reason why w- with the the way that information can be distributed easily now that you just can't make a spell list for anything that you want you know i mean there's plenty of room in the rule book half the people are doing it digital anyway you know how hard is it to you know well and to an extent out? bards do that because they can 
Uh, they have that ability called Magical Secrets, where they can take spells from any other list and add it to their list, which is one of the coolest aspects of 5th edition bards, in my opinion. If you want a bard that can deal damage, I'm grabbing Fireball, Lightning Bolt, or Ice Storm, or whatever. If I want a bard that's more of a support character, I'm going to grab Polymorph and Haste. You know, I mean, there's just so many options that you can customize your bard to be different than every other bard. Um, that's one thing 5th edition is, is sort of lacking. Every, you know, uh, rogue or uh, I forget the thief type rogue, you know, yeah. is essentially similar. Mm-hmm. But uh, this Magical Secrets, that's a 10th level ability. It is. And you get it twice, I think. I think there's uh, two two points at which you can take this the Magical Secrets. Um, it sure doesn't come sooner than that. I thought it came a little sooner. Nope, 10th right. level. Um, Bardic Inspiration. So... You know, Super handy. Fifth edition sort of uh, wanted to rein in the number uh, bloat that it hit everything. You know, plus five weapons, plus five armor, that whole thing. So bounded accuracy, they call it. We're gonna we're gonna limit the bonuses we give. It's very difficult to get bonuses, um, especially for like saving throws. Uh, bards could just give you a hit, a die. Starts as, I think, a d6, goes up from there, and you can use it within the next minute or so to add to a saving throw, mm-hmm. attack roll, after you roll, before you draw the result, which is huge. You know, you got to make that hit to Bard, and, he, and that's a bonus action. They can just throw it out there once a turn, uh, give it to people. Yeah, it's a, a d6 at the lower levels, and then as you progress yeah. upwards, it becomes d8, d10, and then eventually d12. Yeah. Um, they keep that jack of all trades in fifth edition. They are allowed to add, I think, half their proficiency bonus to any skill that they're not proficient in. Mm-hmm. You are so, correct. Yeah, so they uh, they get that. You know, nobody else can do it. Eh, let the bard try. That's very flavorful for the early bards. That jack of all trades persisted all the way from first edition to yeah. fifth edition. Especially if you have a smaller party and you're you know maybe missing some skill sets. Yeah. Um, so that's nice. Song of Rest. I like that. Song of Rest. That was uh, one thing that I had not really known much about. And honestly, I don't know if the players that I have in my campaign understand that Song of Rest. Yeah, it depends on the kind of game. I, I have a lot of issues with the rest mechanic in 5th edition. Um, but if you're in a game where you're actually using the short rest to recover using mm-hmm. hit dice, it's it's huge, yeah, especially uh, at lower levels. Right, because each of the creatures get uh, an extra 1d6 hit mm-hmm. points. They just need to spend one of their hit die to get an extra 1d6. That's really nice. Um, uh, expertise, just like rogues, they had double their proficiency bonus for a couple skills. Mm-hmm. So um, they could have that specialization if you if you want them to. And again, it could be any skill you're, you're proficient in, um, which means if you want to play a bard that's uh, good at persuasion... You can do that. Intimidation, you can do that. You can you can customize that bard a little more than some other classes. Um, counter charm, still, they still keep that. Uh, the bard can um, stop you from being charmed by playing a little uh, earworm, I guess. <laughs> Distract you from the charm. Yes. Uh, yeah. Little ditty about Jack and Diane. That's yeah. right. <laughs> oh, I um, remember that. Oh, wait, what? <laughs> and their capstone ability, I, I don't know. Fifth, fifth edition capstone. Some are way better than others. I'm not sure how I feel about this one. Essentially, at 20th level, um, I think it's a 20th. I assume so. Um, you, if you don't have inspiration when you roll initiative, you get an inspiration. Hmm. 
which is interesting. I don't know if it's great. The problem is you never really want to use the inspiration because you might need it the next round. That's my my impression with inspiration. You're always holding it just in case. Right. So yeah, tw- at 20th to- level, it's called superior inspiration. Yeah. yeah. So at 20th level, when you roll initiative and have no uses of bardic inspiration left, you regain one use. Yeah. So so that's the general bar. But then you, you specialize in your school. Okay. And the first school, Glamour. And this is my bard. I, my bard I play is Friedrich the Mercurial. Now, and, Glamour uh, comes from, it's not in the player's handbook. That's a supplement. Yeah. I, you know, I use D&D Beyond, so they're all listed together. So I am awful at knowing where it comes from. Yeah, this is in uh, 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 Mordekane's. Mordekane? Yeah. That, I have no idea. No, all, no, no. It's Xanathar's. Xanathar's. Mordekane is super yeah, new. So. Yeah, yeah. It's Xanathar's. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So... The glamour part. So my guy's Friedrich the Mercurial, which is essentially Freddie Mercury. He wears <laughs> tight clothing, um, and he's outlandish and a little um, gender neutral, and basically makes passes at every NPC if it's appropriate at the table. I try to rein it in if I think it's going to offend people, but it is rather funny to play him um, because you always get those stares when when you make a pass at the barmaid and then you make a pass at the male bartender. <laughs> Now, I'm totally hetero, so it's just, you know, it's role-playing. It's yeah, sort of right, funny. exactly. Um, so, <laughs> and, you know, it's based on Freddie. I, I always think to myself, what would Freddie Mercury do? <laughs> Which is not something you hear very often. Uh, there should be a bumper sticker for that. Yeah. Um, so, and he's not, my guy's not really high level. I think he's fifth or sixth level right now. But um, Mantle of Inspiration, you get, you can give... Temporary hit points. I think it's up to three people, if I remember correctly. Yeah, let's see. You gain the ability to weave a song of fey magic that imbues your allies with vigor and speed. Uh, You use your bardic inspiration. Yeah, okay. Um, So it's however many of those you get, you can use. Yeah, and when you do so, when you use it, you can choose a number of creatures that you can see. And they have to be within 60 feet. Yeah, and those creatures get temporary hit points, which is nice. But the other thing is they can then use their reaction to move without drawing an attack of opportunity, Mm -hmm. which is a great ability when your party gets, like, ambushed and the bard's turn comes up and you go, yeah, I don't like the way this is going. You, you, you. And then everybody just reorders. The fighters get in front, the casters get in back, and they don't draw an attack of opportunity. It is the ultimate chess piece ability, mm-hmm. um, which is really nice. Um, you have enthralling performance. You can charm humanoids. That's sort of a role play ability, and it really depends on your DM. It takes a while. I think it's a minute or something. You have to perform. Um, and if you get a mean DM, he'll make you actually perform. He or she. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which, you know what? Maybe this is a good time for our interlude. That's true. You know, so what are the problems with with Dungeons and Dragons bards is they don't get enough time in the studio. They're always out killing things. That's right. right? That's true. Or so curing they, light wounds. They never get enough time to sit and hone their musical craft and their musical yeah. talent. So we have one of the bards from the intro segment, from the whom, because proper English, mm-hmm. um, who came into our studio and recorded a single. And we want to give the opportunity to, to listen and to that. And releasing it for the first time ever right here on the Grognards. Yeah, let's give a listen.
Ever since I was a young mage, I've thrown the flaming ball From Greyhawk down to Spindrift, I must have killed them all But I ain't seen nothing like you in any king's great hall That deaf, dumb, blind mage sure throws a mean fireball He stands just like a golem while fighters crash and bash Calculating volumes, avoiding any splash Cast by intuition, the enemies begin to fall That deaf, dumb, blind mage sure throws a mean fireball He's a fireball wizard, there's got to be a twist A fireball wizard's throwing fireballs in their midst How do you think he does it? What makes him so good? He ain't got no distractions, can't hear no mirror spells Don't see no swords of flashing, cast my sense of smell Always kills the boss mob, I've never seen him fall That deaf, dumb, blind mage sure throws a mean fireball I thought I was the evocation king But I just handed my fireball crown to him Even in my favorite dungeon, he can be my best His apprentice leads him in, and he just does the rest Got crazy guano fingers, crispy critters fall That deaf, dumb, blind mage sure throws a mean fireball Man, I'm inspired right now. That was pretty awesome. <laughs> okay, there's a, so thank you to Marcus Caparoon, uh, who's a friend of my son's, a you know budding musician. He's actually an artist, but he d- did a pretty good job with that song. Oh yes, yes. And and that song actually dates back from my high school days. I have remembered some of those verses. Since I, then. I recall when you had mentioned making it part of our podcast. I recalled it from you know ages ago, but. I was so happy to actually see that lyrics had been written for it as opposed to just people making it up. On the- You might have heard it from me because I think one of my friends came up with it during my campaign. Yeah. So when I got to college, I probably... Well, I mean, I think I had heard it in my own... Maybe. Yeah. Uh, a circle of friends or somebody basically came up with the idea. But I think they never went much more than, you know, he's a fireball wizard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's fun to play with a bard, a player who has musical ability and plays the bard up that way. I don't know. Yeah, that would be super helpful. Ever seen Critical Role, but in season one, they have a bard, and he sings a lot of really goofy songs that are amusing. Mm -hmm. They add to the game. My son was, in our last uh, uh, game that we played, (laughs) anytime anybody said something or was going to do a certain thing, he went on Spotify or something like that and did a quick search for keywords and then played the song, you know, like Black Magic Woman or, yeah. you know, any number of different things. And it was a, it was a lot of fun, but it was kind of distracting. It can be. You need to know where to, to draw the line. Um, 
So back to glamour bars. Yeah. A mantle of majesty. You can use command as a bonus action. That's sort of nice. Um, and unbreakable majesty at higher level. You get uh, sanctuary for one minute as a bonus action. And um, if the the monster makes its saving throw to attack you, it has disadvantage on spells cast by you next turn. So it's sort of a very dependent. Glamour is not really popular probably because those mm-hmm. upper level abilities aren't great. Yeah. <clears throat> but they're fun. Okay, and then what is the other we got some other, oh, the College of Swords? Yeah, sword, uh, we got Swords. Um, yeah, in the in the Xanathars, yeah, we've That's got still in Xanathars. Yeah, we've got yeah. College of Glamour, College of Swords, and College of Whispers, whisper? and Lore and Valor. That's right. Lore and Valor are from the original, the PHP, or the PHP, yeah. PHP. Yeah. Well, let's cover Lore first. So I have the disorder. I don't know. Okay, go for uh, it. Lore, you get uh, plus three skills, bonus proficiencies, mm-hmm. cutting words. Uh, use your reaction to subtract inspiration die from a d20 roll, which can be super handy when you're wanting that monster. Cutting yeah, I, I've seen that one used a lot. Yeah. Yes. Additional magical secrets plus two spells from any class. You add even more spells. This lore is a pretty popular bard type because of that. And uh, peerless skill. You add your bardic inspiration to an ability check after you roll. Bards normally cannot inspire themselves, which is something <laughs> new players sometimes have issues with. I get that question a lot when I'm DMing new players. Can I give myself an inspiration die? No. no. You're, you're used to your, your awesomeness, I guess. <laughs> Only other people can get it. But but lore bards can actually give it to themselves. They're pretty popular. Hmm. Um, they, they remember something good and are inspired by a tale they know. So. That's right. Uh, College of Swords. Uh, so these are more combat-based bards. They uh, did get, you skip Valor? We'll get there. Okay. <laughs> you turn Don't off you have the outline? He's going all around. We have an outline here, Greg. Come okay. on. Follow the outline. Uh, I'm looking at the book. I no. like books. Um, <laughs> so uh, swords, you get proficiency in medium armor and scimitar, and you can use your melee weapon as a spell focus. I have noticed a lot of tables play fast and loose with spell focuses. Um in it's probably edition. just lazy people just don't want to have to keep track of that. Well, the whole witch hand mechanic becomes an issue. So if you're a caster, you need to have a spell focus. Mm-hmm. And wizards can use a staff as their spell focus. So you can have a quarter staff that's your spell focus. So you always have that weapon in hand for attacks of opportunity. But, um, you know, there's can a, can a cleric mount their spell focus on their shield and truthfully i have looked the answer i think they can they're holy symbol on their shield i think there's a rule for that but if you're playing a multi-class like my cleric wizard and i want to cast (laughs) wizard spells unless i want to fight with a quarter staff i need to have a hand free so i actually don't use a shield on that guy most of the time what i do is i use a a long sword so i can swing it two-handed if i'm not casting spells let a hand go and uh, swing it one-handed but bards can use any melee weapon as a spell focus. So they can then fight with a shield and still be able to cast spells, which is um, nice. They get a fighting style, either dueling or two-weapon fighting, mm-hmm. to increase their combat. And they have this ability called Blade Flourish. Um, they can get 10 feet of extra movement when they take the attack action. And if they hit, they can use an inspiration to deal extra damage to the creature. Um, nice. So and there's a couple different options they can have. They can push, and they can do all kinds of stuff. Um, they get an extra attack. At sixth level, that's Which great. is huge, because most mostly it's just fighters. Fighter, mm-hmm. ranger, paladin, to get that, and barbarian, to get that bonus action, uh, that bonus attack. Um, 
And uh, then I have Master's Master Flourish. Flourish. You have that one up there? Yeah, Master's yep. Flourish. That's uh, starting at 14th level when you use a Blade Flourish option, which is what you get at third level. You can roll a D6 and use it instead of expending a Bardic Inspiration. Yeah, so basically you can so use it all the time. Yeah, anytime you attack, you can uh, add that D6 to things. Um, so I don't, I don't think I've ever even DM'd a Swords Bard. I'm not sure how I feel about them. I mean, if you're going to go that route, you're essentially what they call a gish. You're a fighter magic user because you're upping your melee abilities, but what you're pulling from Bard, yeah, you get the Bardic Inspiration, but the big thing is those spells, the ability to cast those Bardic spells. Um, so a decent one. I don't think I've ever ever run one, though. Uh, Sounds appealing. It does sound appealing. I, I'm with the bard that I'm considering rolling up. It was kind of a choice between swords and whispers, but I think because of the background, I'm going with whispers. But and we're going to get to that in just yeah, a bit. Yeah, we're going. That's how we're going to end up. You know, if I was going to roll up a swords bard, I would make him human and I would take the heavy armor feet, so that I could wear heavy armor instead of mm. medium. That that to me would be awesome. Because I'm min maxing, uh, <laughs> and humans get very humans get that that feat at first level, so you could start with heavy. Probably couldn't afford it, but you could start with it. Um, Valor bards. Do you have the description for Valor bards there? Uh, yep. Where I th- are we? At? I think those are the ones that go through and they they want to tell great stories and make great stories. They want their exploits to be renowned. Yeah, yeah. basically they're they're. Yeah, I noticed talking the, about themselves. Yeah, yeah, and I noticed the play, the player's handbook descriptions of the colleges are a lot more generalized and basic than than any of the supplementary books. Yeah, these are the yeah. guys, the the Valor uh, members of the College of Valor are the guys that you're going to see in the Mead halls. You yeah. know, basically standing on a table telling a story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I you know when developing this whole outline, I spent a lot of time thinking about that Vikings uh, series on the History Channel. Hmm. Um, it just all this reminds me of that culture, you know. The the storytellers, the scalds, uh, you know, they they would go Viking and, and attack and, and loot because that's what they did, and it was you know they wanted to be in combat. There was no no greater glory than combat. So it's sort of interesting. But um, have you ever seen that series? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Been watching it all the way through. And I think the next one comes out in November, September. I think it's also the final of the series. Maybe. Yeah. Um, I actually learned that the Vikings invaded Paris. I did not know that. Really? Like really early, like 1100 AD, okay, yeah, the Vikings okay. invaded Paris. It was really? part of that series. That was historically accurate. It was one of the few historical accuracies in that series. <laughs> no, well, it's all based yeah. on stuff. But like, it's funny, if you look up some of the history, they say, well, we're not sure if Ragnar Lothbrok actually existed, but we know his kids existed. Yes. And I'm like, wait mm-hmm. a minute. Yeah. You don't understand biology. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, no, it's actually a lot of it's tied to real events. They it take is, poetic yes. license with it, but um, yeah, it's a great story. We'll talk about that sometime. Who knows? Um, so, uh, College of Valor, they get medium armor, shields, and martial weapons. Um, they have combat inspiration, so they can use an inspiration die on damage or to add to their armor class. At third level. At third level, At, that's right. Now, yeah. adding to damage is huge in 5th edition. There's hardly anything that adds to your damage, which is why Great Weapon Master and Sharpshooter are so broken. But mm, <laughs> that's a, that's a whole other issue. Sharpshooter is awesome. Yeah, yes, broken. it is. <laughs> um, if there's for ever, a player, it's great. For a DM, yeah. <laughs> if there's ever 5.5, five, 5. 5, those are going away, guaranteed. Do you think so? There's no, What other ability gives you plus 10 to damage? <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just absurd. It's awesome. I mean, yeah. 
Uh, so that's a whole other thing. But uh, so they get a damage, which is nice, uh, and a fair amount. Like a, your inspiration dies a D6 up to a D12. Uh, they get that extra attack at sixth level. Yep. And battle magic, a bonus action melee attack when they cast a spell. That sounds fun. You got to be 14th level to get that. So. Yeah. But, but you got to wait. Yeah. But that sounds fun. I'm going to cast a spell and I'm going to smack you. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Yeah. That I is mean, that is good. That is good. And then what do we got left? There's whispers. Just the whispers. That's right. And the whispers is an interesting one. It's a little bit more on the devious end of the colleges. I, I'm not impressed with it. It's very... No, I just... It, it, it intrigued me enough that I think I might go with that for my bard. Well, you know, here's... Let's go through the ability that we'll talk okay. about. It. So, uh, Psychic Blades. If you use an inspiration, you get plus 2d6 damage that increases with level. That's pretty good. I mm-hmm. mean, plus 2d6 is a lot of damage. And it increases as you yeah, go... Especially at third level. And, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, at third level. Uh, and then those go to 3d6 at 5th, 5d6 at 10th, and then... It's essentially you... like a light cantrip, but you're using your bardic inspiration. Mm-hmm. Uh, words of Terry, speak to a humanoid alone for one minute. They get to save, or they're frightened of you for one hour. Or unless uh, you attack or damage them, um, you are not an ally, then it negates yeah. it. I don't know. Uh-huh. Like, I'm... hey, you know, we're going to fight, but let's talk this over for 10 rounds. Yeah, I mean, it sounds really cool, mm-hmm. but... Uh... How practical it would be, I wonder. Well, that's true. That's true. A lot depends on your gameplay style. And, and that's what my my criticism with Whispers is. It's very dependent on what kind of game you're in. There's yeah. some campaigns where it would be near useless. Um, Mantle of Whispers. This is sort of weird. You capture the shadow of a humanoid that dies within 30 feet until a long rest, and you can disguise yourself as a dead person and gain information that they would have that would normally be known by like a casual acquaintance. Okay. Hmm. That's also kind of creepy. I mean, <laughs> if I was writing a science, uh, a fantasy story, I would definitely include that. Right. So, you know, the guy comes out of the shadows, slits the guard's throat, takes on the guise of the guard, goes into the barracks. You know, I mean, that's awesome, right? Yeah. Or yeah. if I'm playing a video game and I can do that, that's awesome. And a D&D table, what's everybody else doing? Like, I essentially, you've just turned this into a solo game. Yeah. When I was looking, when I was reading, looking through that, it uh, it kind of strikes me that this was either from a book or someone's very specific campaign, and they just sold everybody on it that this would be a great thing yeah, to add. And don't get me wrong, there are campaigns that uh, are not as combat heavy, are more intrigue. I run one of those campaigns. I love political intrigue, and we've had sessions, four or six hour sessions, where we don't have any combat, or a big combat at least. What yeah. do you think uh, of this college for a bard? taking place in the new uh, Waterdeep setting. Yeah, that could be that could be useful. I haven't seen seen the books yet, obviously, but it sounds like that's the kind of stuff. You're being skulky and sneaky mm-hmm. and tricksy. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it might work well. But again, your DM has to be going along right. with this it. This is a total—and again, that's why, you know, when we reveal our ideas for bards, why I like this one for my particular background. Yeah, okay. Um, and then the last one, Shadow Lore— you whisper to one creature within 30 feet. They get a wisdom save. You have to speak their language, which is another thing I have an issue with. Um, I hate when they have that limitation because you don't know. Right. You know, a lot of times you don't know what they speak. Um, if they fail, they're charmed for eight hours. This is my second issue with this. I do, I'm not a fan of the charm mechanic in Why fifth is that? edition. It's not as powerful as it used to be. 
Uh-huh. Oh, because it's not as powerful. No. I, I mean, I, if you could pull up Charm Charm Person, I don't know if you could pull it up quick. Um, it used to be that basically they would almost do anything for you. And now they won't do things that are against their nature. Like, basically, they just sort of It's view almost like you, a hypnotism type thing. Yeah, they view you as a friend, but... You know, in the old school, you charm them, you're like, attack your best friend. And they'd yeah. be like, hack, yeah. hack, hack, right. hack. Yeah. That's I, true. I got it here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 You attempt to charm a humanoid you can see within range. You must make a wisdom saving throw and does so with advantage. And if your com- uh, companions are fighting it, if it fails the saving throw, it is charmed by you until the spell ends or until you or your companions do anything harmful to it. So you can't touch them. The charmed creature regards you as a friendly acquaintance. And when the spell ends, the creature knows it was charmed by you. And that's all it says under charmed person. Yeah, there's more clarification on friendly acquaintance and stuff. It, it yeah. just seems like that's it's a little more limited. And again, it could vary by table. Yeah, there's a lot um, of interpretation going but on. But like, yeah. you know, you, you could make it to attack their best friend. You know, Greg's a friendly acquaintance, and if Greg's like, Eric, jump in front of that crossbow bolt for me. Yeah, I ain't having it. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Well, first edition, I, I think I, they, I am really hurt do by that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, don't don't put yourself in any situations where people want to shoot you with crossbows. Yeah. That's yep, my advice. That's fair. Um, so the whispers, campaign dependent. It seems like if they're going to take the space up for a college, I'm not impressed. I don't know. Yeah, you know. I th- yeah, I'll stand by what I said. This is that was somebody's like you know little vanity project insert there. Yeah, and it, and I guess if you run that kind of a campaign, very role play heavy, very mm-hmm. political intrigue, it's perfect. Right. Right. Um, just like the spy. Under uh, uh, the rogue, there's a spy uh, subclass, also very campaign dependent. Those two together would be awesome, in in the right campaign. But I play, you know, when I play, I play Adventures League. It would be near useless there. You know, there's no very little role play. Although that might change with the season eight rules, which people are flipping out about um, <laughs> as we speak. But we won't go into that. It's something that I don't have Yet. to worry about. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. That's that's fifth edition Bards. It's it's a fun class to play. I have to admit, but it is a support class. Um, you know, you can take those college and get you know go toe to toe, but you're not going to be as good as the fighter or the paladin or the barbarian. Um, you're not going to be as good a caster as the wizard or the cleric, um, but you do fill that jack of all trades. You can throw out those inspirations. You can help people heal. You can neutralize opponents. You know, if that's what you like to play. Play a bard, man. Yeah. yeah. It's, nice. it's nicer when you have people that that respect that, you know. Sometimes you're in groups and they don't. They just are so focused on their own character. <clears throat> so. Um, we're going into an extended version. Yeah. Well, we're almost group. done. Yeah, we're almost done. So what we want to do now as a replacement, I shouldn't say a replacement, a substitute for the DM Guild, DM's Guild review of a product, we're going to try to provide you guys with some ideas for some of these classes that we are reviewing yeah and today we're going to throw out three bard ideas right so yeah. eric go ahead yeah. and mine set is really the standard short for us let's talk about kenku <laughs> <laughs> i dislike kenku okay okay kenku You're... are these bird people right yes. they're traditionally viewed as crows and they have this mimicry ability but one of the things they put in the player's handbook is they don't have their own language they can only repeat what they've heard before Okay. okay. Hmm. 
how the hell do you role play that? Okay, well, for one thing, that's how I learned how to speak. And that's how you learned how to speak. And that's how Greg learned how to speak. You heard the word. You it was your mother it. or your father. And you repeated it. So so theoretically, it doesn't even work mechanically. Yeah, okay? By the time like, you're 10 or 15, you should be able to say whatever you want. Yeah, I mean, you have heard most words. Yes. Now, now you can go, well, can you? do you have to have the words in isolation, or do you have to have heard the phrase? So I could see where they wanted to go with it, but it's a problematic class. I don't see a lot of Kenku, and I have seen some people that actually keep track of what other players say at the table, oh, and they geez. draw from that list, which seems like wow. a lot of work to me. What do they got, like short-term memory loss or something? Yeah. So here's my idea for a bard. If you really want to play a Kenku, you play a, gar- a bard, but he can only communicate in song titles or lyrics. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> Okay, that would be fun. I'd like that. Yeah, and if you're one of those people that knows a lot about music, yeah, and your contemporaries at the table also know, that that would make it. Yeah, I that would, helps. I would pretty much suck at that. Yeah, if you're at a table, uh, eighteen like year olds, Dean, and you're dropping the Moody Blues song titles. Well, okay, yeah, there uh, you go. Yeah, might, might not work. Yeah, but yeah. a couple of people I game with would absolutely live and die by that. That would be great. Uh, yeah, Mike and John. Yeah, would and it be works. Really good at that. It works for Kenku. It's the one way you could actually make a Kenku somewhat realistic. There you go. So that's my my bardic inspiration. All right. Well, I've got a. I, I, I'm going to go next because I'm pretty sure Greg's yeah. got a lot more to He'll talk about. He'll take us to I the do. two hour mark. <laughs> nah, I don't have as much as you think I do. All right. Um, I'm going to do a bard, but he's going to be a drow. Okay. Okay. Not named Dritz, is he? No. Okay. Uh, it's uh, Kez- dark elf with a heart of gold. Yeah, Kezra Zray. It's all kinds of V's and Z's and all kinds okay. of stuff like that. Um. Hopefully, he's, I don't know if you want to use this as an NPC or a, a, a PC, but you have to have a very high charisma, okay? That makes because sense. part of the background is he's a former slave. He's caught the eye of one of the house mistresses, you know, one of the drow mistress uh, heads of the house. Uh, so she selected him as her consort, right? And he spent a lot of time as a servant slave and... She was so enthralled by not only his sexual prowess, but his ability to be what bards are, you know, the the, the, the whole minstrel type of thing. He kind of went into the College of Whispers, and during the act of passion, he killed his mistress, and uh, is then on the quest of basically bringing down some of the large <coughs> houses of the drow, and therefore that whole College of Whispers thing. Yeah, I mean, drow is a very political sort of, you know, you're either in or you're out. I have a funny drow story if you... Yeah. Are the drow sure, funny? Time. <laughs> um, so in my, my home game, I had a point at which a uh, the group met a granddaughter of Lolth, right? The, the mm-hmm. spider queen for the drow, you know, big deal, right? Until they find out that no, Lolth has like 10,000 grand, yeah. grandchildren because she's a spider. She's a spider. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So it sounded impressive at first until she's like, no, there's 10,000 of us. But anyway. Yeah. I have a fun drow story. I was up at GaryCon. Yeah. And we were playing Queen of the Demon Web. That's a fun module. Yeah. And my character got the killing blow. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. And and module number? Toss up? Q1. Q1. And it followed which series? The, well, into the, into the, what do they call it? It was the, uh, it was the D series, wasn't it? Uh, I, it I, followed. It was I, part of the against the, the giants. Giants, yes, it right. Giants, and then I think there was an intermediate. Then the yeah. demon web pits. Mm-hmm. Okay, that was our grognardiest yes. moment of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay. All right, Greg, you go. There was my drow bard. It's just okay, an idea, cool. a little very bit of cool. a foundation. Cool. Yeah, I've been a little hesitant to go anywhere near drow because there's just a lot of baggage with drow. That's so true. I'm not, an understatement. I'm, I don't want that baggage. Anyway, uh, I'm going with something a little wackier. Uh, I have a half oh, half orc bard. Um, his name is Dank. Um, uh, his, his dank meme. He, well, <laughs> that I, that did pop through my head. Perhaps um, his uh, his mother was human, and uh, she was actually a druid who uh, ended up um, with. Uh, kind of a minor chieftain of an invading force. Um, Denk's actual name is Dennis. <laughs> uh, oh, Dennis! There's Dennis, some lovely muck over here. That that might have occurred to me. Um, his Dennis Liebgood, because uh, you know life is good. And does he uh, collect lupins? Uh, he might. Um, <laughs> does he wear leader hose? He is. He is chaotic good. Um, as as uh, half orcs go, he's a little on the scrawny side, so he's had mm-hmm. to overcompensate by being super entertaining. So uh, originally I was going valor, but I have decided to go college of swords with him, uh, with his background as being a juggler. Mm-hmm. So he he entertains people by uh, wacky sword play, and um, you know occasionally playing on a flute, which you know as a as a long cylindrical thing you can he can juggle a flute with some daggers or something like now, that now let me just interject and, uh, this is why we have gray yeah right i mean no other player that i know of is going to be like okay what's his what's his like weakest area and how would he compensate for that and that's his yeah. motivation greg spends all this time which i really like as a dm yeah. but Continue. I, I try to make things fun. Yeah. Well, I, I honestly, I don't have a ton more after that since I just made this up an hour ago. Um, you know, I've definitely tried to max out his charisma and his dexterity. Um, he's, uh, yeah, I've, I've gone down juggler and flute tale teller in taverns. Um, he, uh, you know, I won't, he probably won't do the disguise thing too much. But yeah, he's just basically trying to compensate for being kind of a, kind of a scrawny half orc by uh, being a, uh, a bit of, a bit more dexterous and, uh, you know, kind of entertaining his fellows. So yeah, um, that would be I, a fun I, bard to play. Yeah, I would kind of, I would finish him off a little bit here and, and uh, maybe we can post that up. Yeah. So uh, I do have one question. And this is completely off tangent. Half orcs, do they always have to be half human? You know, that's a super good question. It's not clear with a lot of why other classes, some races, races are halves and others are not, and which races can breed with which races. Like halflings apparently can't breed with anybody, and if you, you know, a halfling and a half orc, do you get a quarter orc? How would that work? <laughs> you know, is it fractions? What? Yeah. But then there's some races that can, and that's. That's a whole other, like, D&D is the one game where it's okay to be racist. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Because yes. race doesn't mean the same thing in D&D as it does in the real world. And there we go. We've just opened up another idea for another Oh, topic. we already had that one. Did yeah. we have that? Oh, yeah. Our master yeah. list has grown from eight to, like, what, 28? Yeah, I, over, I think over 30 now. Um, yeah. So we have a lot so planned. So, folks, you got to stay tuned because we got all kinds of different stuff we're going to talk about. And our next one... Um, will be our post Gen Con. We're going to sort of wrap up, drag how ourselves we feel, in here after yeah, that yep. about Gen Con and uh, get that recorded and edited and hopefully uh, give some people advice so that if they go next year, they, they know what to hit and what to avoid. Uh, um, regale them with tales of uh, what we saw and what we did. That is correct. Okay, so let's wrap it up here. So, Greg, take us out. Yep. Uh, you want to get a hold of us? As always, the best place is on Facebook. Just search for The Grognards. Uh, we're also on Twitter at 
tgrognards. And on Instagram, we are the underscore grognards. And you can always just send us a regular email at gamers at the grognards. All right. Well, for the grognards, I'm Dean Geiken. I'm Eric Hawley. And I'm Greg Ziegler. See you next time. <laughs>